Welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. And the text we examine today is Psalm 105. Psalm 105 is regarded as a historical psalm. So will the next psalm after it, Psalm 106. Psalm 105 emphasizes God's goodness to Israel. All of God's mercy and grace from the time of Abraham till they entered the land of Canaan. Psalm 106 will emphasize Israel's sin. A previous historical psalm, Psalm 78, put both of these points together, God's goodness and Israel's sin. Israel's sin looks all the worse against God's goodness and God's mercy. And God's grace looks ever much so ever ever so more amazing against the background of Israel's sin. Let's begin. Oh give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, speak of all his wonders. Many of the Psalms begin with a call to give thanks to God. In verse 1, give thanks to God. In verse 2, sing to Him and sing praises to Him. And both verse 1 and verse 2 also have lines to call Israel to speak of God's wonders and to make known His deeds among the people. This psalm is going to stress God keeping his promises to Abraham. And in God's promises to Abraham, he had a plan to include all nations. As Genesis 12 verse 3 says, In you all nations of the earth will be blessed. And part of that plan is Israel making known his deeds among the peoples, of speaking of all his wonders, as verses 1 and 2 stress. Verse 3, glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Three times the word seek is used in the New American Standard in verses 3 and 4. They translate two different Hebrew words which often are used throughout the Old Testament to stress seeking the Lord. The text emphasizes seek the Lord and his strength. Part of our seeking God is a recognition of our weakness, of our dependence upon him. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. We saw in the previous psalm that when the Lord hides his face, all are dismayed. Psalm 104, verse 29. And so in this psalm, we are called to seek his face continually. In verse 5, remember his wonders which he has done, his marvels and the judgments uttered by his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant, O sons of Jacob, his chosen one. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Notice in verse 5, remember. 
Two other times in this psalm, the word remember will be used in verse 8 and verse 42. In verse 8 and verse 42, the remembrance is God's remembrance of his people. God is remembering his covenant and God is keeping his covenant. So verses 8 and 42 use the term remember of God. Verse 5 uses the term remember from man in his relationship to God. We must remember the God who remembers his covenant with us. We must remember his wonders which he's done, his marvels. This word marvels is going to be used later in the psalm in translated miracles in verse 27, talking about God's judgment on the people of Egypt. But these verses call us to thank him, to praise him, to seek him, to remember him, to glory in him. But who is this God that we have this attitude toward? that verses 1 through 7 call us to. Well, in verse 8, he has remembered his covenant forever, the word he commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. Then he confirmed it to Jacob as a statue, to Israel as an everlasting inheritance. That's verses 8 through 10. You notice these verses mention Abraham, verse 9, Isaac, verse 9, and Jacob in verse 10. God keeps his promises. God does what he says. And the fact that our God is a promise-keeping God gives us hope. Our understanding of biblical history helps us understand what God has done in the past. It helps us to trust Him in the present, and it gives us hope for the future. I want you to notice the phrase, a thousand generations, in verse 8. This phrase is used in Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. God remembers his covenant to thousands or for a thousand generations, as Deuteronomy 7, 9 says. Thousand generations a long time. When you consider between us and Moses, there are about 150 generations. But notice, if you look at verse 8, that the word thousand generations is used in parallelism with the term forever. He has remembered his covenant forever, the word he commanded to a thousand generations. The point. Saying that God remembers his promises, his covenant to a thousand generations is saying he remembers it forever. The promises God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, where God says, I will bless you and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and you'll be a great nation and I'll give you a land Genesis 12 verse 7 
And God repeated these promises to Isaac in Genesis 26, 3 and 4. He repeated these promises to Jacob in Genesis 28, verses 13 through 15. And one of the focal points of God's promises to Abraham were the promises of a land. Verse 11, Psalm 105, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan and the portion of your inheritance. God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And many of these promises focus on God giving Israel a land. God giving them the land. In verse 12, when they were only very few in number, very few and strangers in it, and they wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another kingdom, he permitted no man to oppress them, and he reproved kings for their sakes. Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Those verses were verses 12 through 15. The Bible says that Israel was few in number. Genesis 34, verse 30. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 7. Remember when they went down to Egypt, there were 70 of them. In Genesis 46, verses 26 and 27. When they were very few when they were strangers. The language here is emphasizing how unlikely these promises were to be fulfilled. But in spite of their small numbers and in spite of their little strength and how they were strangers and wanderers, God kept his promises. God kept his promises in spite of all the things that seemed to indicate such promises were unlikely to be fulfilled. God is a God who keeps his promises. God is a God who does what he said. And when his people were few and his people were strangers, remember in Genesis 23, when Abraham's wife Sarah dies, he has to beg for a place to bury her because he doesn't own anything in the land of Canaan. But when they were strangers and wanderers, God didn't allow anyone to oppress them. Later in Israel's history, they will be oppressed by Assyria. They will be oppressed by Babylon. This same verb of verse 14 is used in those days. But God did not permit any man to oppress them, and he reproved kings for their sake. In Genesis 12, in Genesis 20, in Genesis 26, we read these records of how Abraham, in spite of getting himself into trouble by his own foolishness and saying that Sarah is his wife and that he is her, Sarah, his wife, is his sister and that he is her brother, in spite of the fact that God, that he disobeyed God and did this. God protected him. God kept his covenant in spite of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Often when they did the wrong things. And God said, do not touch my prophets in verse 15. 
Abraham is spoken of as a prophet in Genesis 27 in a dealing with Abimelech. So verses 8 through 15 has stressed God keeping his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verses 16 through 22 are going to focus on the days of Joseph. In verse 16, he called for a famine upon the land and he broke the whole staff of bread. God sent the famine. Genesis 41, 25 through 32, the book of Genesis confirms this. God sends the famine in verse 16, but God also sends the man to solve the problem of the famine. In verse 17, he sent a man before him, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, and they afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in iron. Joseph was thrown into prison, and Joseph was thrown into prison. He was treated roughly. But all the things that his brothers and his opponents meant for evil, God meant it for good. Joseph was being sent before them to take care of them in this time of famine. Verse 19, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him the ruler of peoples, and set him free. Joseph is freed from prison, and he is made a lord of the land, a ruler over it, verse 21, with great power over the princes, in verse 22, and great power to teach and communicate wisdom, verse 22. So Joseph and God's dealings with him is summed up are summed up in verses 16 through 22. From verses 23 through 25, the Bible says Israel also came into Egypt. Thus Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. In the genealogies of Genesis 10, one of the first descendants of Ham is Mizraim, or Egypt, Genesis 10, verse 6. Genesis 10, verse 6. And the Bible tells us in verse 24, Psalm 105, He caused His people to be very fruitful and made them stronger than their enemies. And He turned their heart to hate His people, to deal craftily with His servants. You remember how in spite of the fact that Egypt becomes poorer and poorer, Israel in the land of Goshen prospers. You see this in Genesis 47, and particularly Genesis 47 verse 27 refers to the prosperity of Jacob's descendants in Egypt. In Exodus 1, you see how they are fruitful and multiply, and the enemy becomes afraid of them and says, we are afraid that a war may break out and they may join our enemies, so they enslave them in Exodus 1. Verse 25 says, this is where God turned their heart to hate his people. The fact that God is in control of history doesn't mean that his people may not have to patiently wait on his promises, as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did in verses 8 through 15. The fact that God is in control of history doesn't mean that his people may not 
suffer as Joseph did in verses 17 and 18, and as Israel did in verse 25. But it does mean that ultimately God will be vindicated and his people will be blessed. Now, verses 26 through 38 deal with God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. It stresses in verse 26 that he, God, sent Moses, his servant. In verse 17, God sent Joseph. In verse 26, he sent Moses and Aaron, whom he had chosen. And they performed wondrous acts among them and miracles in the land of Ham. And the word miracles, as I believe I stated earlier, is also used in verse 7. Excuse me, in verse 5 of Psalm 105, he did marvels, and here he does miracles, verse 27. Verses 28 through 36 relate the plagues that God sent on the land of Egypt. Verse 28, he sent darkness and made it dark. In verse 29, he turned the waters into blood and caused their fish to die. In verse 30, frogs swept over the land and even into the chambers of their kings. In verse 31, God sent flies and gnats. In verse 32, he sent hail, and that hail in verse 33 destroys their vines and their fig trees. In verse 34 and 35, he sent locusts to eat up all their vegetation. And in verse 36, he struck down the firstborn. Interestingly, in Psalm 78, verses 44 through 51, the plagues are also recounted. Not every plague is mentioned. The fifth and sixth plagues are not mentioned in verses 28 through 36. But it seems like eight of these plagues are mentioned. The plagues were God's judgment on Egypt. But the same events that were judgment on Egypt are salvation to Israel. Many of God's acts of deliverance are also his acts of judgment. And whether we experience God's acts of salvation as judgments or blessings, as curses or blessings, depends on whether or not we serve him. Verse 37 emphasizes that God brought Israel out of Egypt, and the Egyptians give them silver and gold, as we read of in Exodus 11, 2 and 3, and Exodus, Exodus 12, verses 35 and 36. And when they left, Egypt was glad when they departed, for the dread of them had fallen on the Egyptians. So we've seen God keeping his covenant his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in verses 8 through 15, his work with Joseph in verses 16 through 22, his deliverance of Israel from Egypt in verses 26 through 38, and then verse 39 begins to tell us about how God led the people through the wilderness and to the promised land. 
I want you to notice that as this section describes God's blessings upon his people, that many of these blessings that are described in verses 39 through 41 are reversals of the plagues. Let me illustrate. In verse 39, God spread a cloud for a covering and fire to illuminate by night. As God is leading his people Israel, he gives them a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. Here it says that cloud was for a covering, that fire illuminated the night. Now, in verse 28, God sent darkness upon the Egyptians. But God gives Israel light and guidance in verse 39. In verse 40, Israel asked and he brought quail, Exodus 16, Numbers 11, and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. Remember before that God had sent a famine upon the land and broke the staff of bread in verse 16, but now God provides bread for Israel in the wilderness. But notice particularly how verse 40 is a contrast to those plagues of the hail and the locusts in verses 32 through 35. For the hail and the locusts, the hail is said to have shattered the vines and the fig trees And the locusts are said to have devoured all the vegetation in contrast to God consuming and God destroying the crops of the Egyptians. God fed Israel with bread out of heaven. And in verse 41, God opened up the rock and water flowed out. It ran in dry places like a river, in contrast in verse 29 to God causing the waters to be turned to blood. God gives Israel water from the rock, from the most unlikely of sources. In verse 42, he remembered his holy word with Abraham, his servant. Abraham was first mentioned in the psalm in verse 9. And God is said to have remembered his promises in verse 8. And we're called to remember him in verse 5. We remember the God who remembered us. The people are shouting and rejoicing in verse 43. And in verse 44, we finally see the fulfillment of the land promise. God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a land in verse 11. And in verse 44, he gave them also the lands of the nations that they might take possession of the fruit of the people's labors. Now, all of this psalm, since verse 8, has emphasized God's goodness to Israel, God's goodness from the time of Abraham to the time that they came in and take, took possession of the land. What Israel is to do is stated in verse 45, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws, praise the Lord. We keep the words of this Lord who has been so good to us. We keep his words. We listen to his statutes. Just as God was faithful to his promises and his statutes, 
in verse 10, he confirmed it to Jacob for a statue. We listen to his statutes and obey him and we praise his name. There are many ways that Jesus fulfills the words of Psalm 105, but particularly this God who kept his promises with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has kept his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by sending Jesus. In Matthew 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the story that Matthew gives in his gospel will be a fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham and God's promises to David. As Peter was preaching in Acts 3 and calling the people to listen to his message of Jesus, he emphasizes that you are heirs of the promise God made with Abraham. In your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. This is Acts 3, verses 25 and 26. God kept his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He kept that promise by sending Jesus to bless all nations. Galatians 3 emphasizes the same thing. And Galatians 3 ends with these words. You're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ... You are Abraham's descendants and heirs of the promises. Praise God that he kept his covenant with Abraham. Praise God that he keeps his promises. Praise God that he kept his promises by sending Jesus to turn us from our sins. May the Lord bless you and keep you.